Hello out there, whoever's listening. Uh, if anyone's listening, this is Pastor Tim Dooner of Valley Forge Presbyterian Church, and I welcome you to this uh, third sermon from our fall-winter 2019 sermon series on Christian and congregational vitality. Um, now, vitality uh, is the first of three focus areas for our consideration and implementation as a church along this journey of becoming more fully a Matthew 25 congregation um, in response to the invitation of our denomination. Uh, now, this uh, sermon on the third uh, characteristic of Christian and congregational vitality is called Marks of Vitality, Outward Incarnational Focus. Uh, now, I invite you to enjoy and to become centered by a time of quiet and stillness. Okay, what I share for your consideration and imagination today is in response to a portion of the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian churches. Uh, this particular part of his letter comes from the fifth chapter. He writes, For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died, and he died for all, so that those who might live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are grateful for how God uses this scripture to shape and inspire and call us. This fall, as uh, a congregation, Valley Forge Presbyterian is taking its first steps in this journey of becoming more fully a Matthew 25 church. Uh, we do so uh, in response to the invitation uh, in this initiative of the larger church to restore the relevance of the church in the world by being a people of action where God's love and justice and will for all humanity are embodied and acted out and on display in congregation for the community to see. The uh, Matthew 25 initiative comes with three areas of focus. 
And the first is to intentionally seek a greater spiritual vitality, to build us up in strength for the sake of our future work. And that's what this series of episodes is about. Uh, a, a couple episodes ago, we considered the first mark of being vital, having a vitality as a congregation. And that is that uh, the people of the congregation have an orientation of lifelong discipleship formation. Acknowledging that our religion, our Christianity, was never meant to be about saving ourselves or preserving an organization. It was always meant to be about this journey of all of us slowly and steadily conform conforming more and more to the image of Christ all throughout our lives. And in the last episode, we considered the second mark of, our, of uh, being vital as a church. Um, having an intentional, authentic evangelism that just naturally pours out from us. Not having slick marketing, coercive marketing, not being concerned about growing our own organization for the sake of ourselves, and, and, and how evangelism isn't shouting requirements and threats of condemnation and judgment at people unless they join us or believe like us. But how it's this natural telling of our stories about how God's love and God's goodness is on display and active in our lives and in the world around us for the sake of God's will. Um, of the kingdom come in fullness and peace. In this episode, uh, we consider the third mark of having vitality as a congregation, and that is adopting an outward and incarnational focus. Both as individual Christians and as congregations together, do we have a focus that points outward? And does it incarnate our Christ-likeness. As we begin to think about this, um, I invite you to consider that our contemporary American culture nurtures the opposite. That our culture in which, into which we are born, in which we are all raised, nurtures an inward focus and a disconnected approach to life. There's a man named uh, L. Robert Coles, who was the director of training for the U.S. Information Agency. And, and in this role, he sought to increase the cultural understanding for both Americans going to visit and live abroad and uh, to increase cultural understanding for uh, non-Americans who visit or come to live in America. In the early 80s, he wrote The Values Americans Live By, which highlighted 13 values that he understood to be seated deeply with American culture. He traced these cultural uh, threads back to our genesis as a nation and how all through the centuries, these 13 values have helped to shape all areas of American life. So as we consider um, the Apostle Paul's words that we hear from this letter to the Corinthians, where he says, from now on, regard no one from a human point of view. We realize that to look at some of Cole's work, where he highlights um, these values uh, of what a human point of view might be in our, in our American culture, that, that that gives us this understanding of how our culture drives us to regard each other if left unchallenged 
by by any other idea about how we are to treat one another or to regard one another. Cole says that Americans value personal control, that we think that we can and should control our own nature, our own environment, our own destiny. He wrote that we value individualism. And we understand that people are separate individuals, not group members, with individual needs and the individual responsibility to control our own lives. He wrote that we value both competition and free enterprise, believing that competition brings out the best in people and that free enterprise leads to progress and success. He wrote that Americans value practicality and efficiency. Uh, that, that these values, these two values, are usually the most important considerations when decisions are made, practicality and efficiency. And he said that Americans value materialism. That material goods are seen as just rewards of hard work. They're seen as uh, signs of success or value, and that they're also often seen as evidence of God's favor, evidence that we've somehow lived the quote-unquote right way. And so as a result, American lives tend to become driven by self-focus and personal goals. Out from these values, personal control, individualism, competition, free enterprise, practicality, efficiency, materialism. Our individual goals become the priority and the point of our lives. We become sort of self-contained entities uh, differentiated from, if not isolated, from others. Relationships are not automatic and assumed. Uh, the, the sense of connectedness or belonging to one another is not automatic or assumed. We, we feel like we get to pick and choose whether or not we're going to be in relationship with, connected to another. And we think we can make that choice based on whether the other is in competition with us or whether that other is someone whose cooperation would be beneficial unto our own individual goals. And we often make that choice based on whether or not a, uh, an understanding that we are connected to or in relationship with another is a practical and efficient use of our time. And maybe we all react to this idea by saying, well, no, I have relationships with family and close friends that are not like this at all. They're not conditional. They're not just all about what's good for me. Fair enough. That may be true, that there is an, uncondition uh, uh, an unconditional nature to some of our closest relationships. But we have to ask, what about the relationships that we have or don't have with acquaintances, neighbors, strangers, enemies, all those who are not in that sort of inner circle of family and close friends. What do our relationships look like with them if we even have one at all and we're not isolated or disconnected from them? And, and with whom are we disconnected? From whom are we isolated? Either because it's just by circumstance and we don't really realize, or it's by distance, uh, or if it's an intentional choice to to disconnect and to differentiate ourselves from somebody else, if not be outright antagonistic against them if they're competition. 
are we viewing others through this American cultural lens? Are we regarding them from that human point of view? Or are we regarding them in a different way, the way in which God sees others? When Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians, he makes some big claims. First, he claimed that we've all, all of us, already been reconciled within our relationship with God. God isn't counting the sin of our imperfection against us, he says. Not you, not me, not anyone. Paul also wrote in another letter to um, the earliest churches in Rome that, that, that now because of what Christ has revealed to us to be true, that, that there is no distinction between Jew and Greek anymore. That those who would have previously been understood as differentiated in these categories of righteous and unrighteous, favored and unfavored, us and them, truly religious and not really religious, that those, that those distinctions no longer exist. And he went on to write to the other churches in Galatia that the distinctions and labels of slave or free, male or female, are also unnecessary labels and false distinctions because all have been reconciled within our relationship with God. There's no God's team and those who aren't on God's team anymore. His next claim is that God has entrusted the message of this reconciliation to us, the church, those who are people of Jesus. Now, if we were to more literally translate what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in the original language of Greek, it would sound more like God put into us the word of reconciliation. And that word for word, that word translated as word, God put into us the word of reconciliation is the Greek word logos, which doesn't mean like one particular word, like I said this particular word, but the whole expression of a larger idea. That, 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 that this whole idea is a good word to us. <laughs> Um, in, in, in his gospel, John called Jesus the word of God, the logos of God. He argued that G the whole idea about God and humanity and what this is all supposed to look like, that that was spoken and expressed in Jesus. And Paul says that we are those in whom God has placed this new holistic understanding about the world that we, that we are put into us is this word of of the reconciliation of all things. Uh, this great big idea that it's God's will and desire that all the world, all, all of it, including all of humankind, uh, be, be reconciled, be redeemed, be pulled back in together into connectedness and peace. The salvation that we talk about in church the is, is the salvation of reconciliation. It's the restoring of right relationship to God and to one another. It's not just about our relationship to God. Salvation isn't just to be about being ushered into new life when this one ends. It's, it's, it's not just about what that, you know, that, that evangelist in the street corner is screaming about. You know, do we know where we're going when we die? Salvation is, and reconciliation are about so much more than that. It's, it's, it's about God's repair 
God's work to repair all of the brokenness and disconnectedness and all of the fractured relationships that we brought upon ourselves as a human community and in our relationship to our creation, the world on which we live, because of our imperfection and, and, our, and our selfishness and our greed and our self-focus. Salvation and reconciliation are as much about this life as the next. If God put this uh, logos of the reconciliation of all people and all things within us, then we have a fundamental understanding that our purpose in life, that which drives us in our daily living, that that purpose is not just about us. It's not about doing what's best for us as an individual. It's not about controlling life for our sake. This logos, this word, this big idea is about so much more than us. It's about the whole world around us. Whether that means people living, you know, on our right next to us on our street or people living on the other side of the planet, it's the whole thing. Because this logos has been put within us by God, we are not those who live in service of the idea that life is just about me and what I control, what I accomplish, what I own, or what I consume. God has put a different logos, a different driving and undergirding idea in us than our culture puts in us. We don't regard those around us from that human point of view any longer. We are those who live in service of this logos of God. And so our lives are to become an expression of and participation in that word, a, an expression of and a participation in that big idea that God is seeking to restore and reconcile all, to pull it all back together into connectedness and peace, to pull it all back together to the point that every last human being, as well as the earth on which we live, is healthy and flourishing. Paul says it this way. We become, with this logos placed in us, ambassadors for Jesus. And the Greek word um, translated in this case as ambassador is the word presbyuo, which uh, is the word from which we get Presbyterian. It's, it's used sometimes literary, literally to describe older and venerated persons, but it's also used as a title for those who are authorized and entrusted to speak and act on behalf of another as an ambassador. In our congregations, we talk about our elders being these ambassadors. It's, they are entrusted by the congregation to, to listen for God's guidance and then to speak and to act that out on behalf of God and to invite the rest of the congregation to come along in that place of faithfulness. Paul's arguing that we all have that image, that identity now, with this logos within us as ambassadors for Jesus. We are all authorized and entrusted to speak and act on behalf of him whose mission in life was to be God's ultimate expression of this word, this logos of reconciliation. As Christians, we proclaim that we see this idea of God, God's truth about everything, uh, most perfectly on display and acted out in Jesus, 
who lovingly befriended and restored those who were labeled, judged, punished, hated, ignored, the diseased, disabled, the mentally ill, uh, females who were who were who are not uh, thought as highly of back then as they are now, though we still have a long way to go. Samaritans, Gentiles, tax collectors, etc., etc. He lovingly befriended and sought to bring this truth of God's reconciliation into all of their lives, and this was all actions. These were all actions of his love for his neighbor, regardless of who they were, which he offered in word and deed of expressions of God's work and will, that all would be reconciled back to a place of peace and flourishing together. So to be entrusted as his ambassadors is not only to name that this is God's will and truth, to say that God loves everyone and wants to pull everyone back into this place of togetherness and connectedness and peace and where everybody's flourishing. It's not just to name that and to speak it, but it's to participate in working it out, to participate in making that a reality. And our actual intentional love for neighbor that we, that we see and recognize and seek to love as our focus is drawn outward to them, away from the self and outward to the world around us, our love for them in intentional ways is the means by which we serve as ambassadors. We speak and we act. If we're going to pro proclaim the good news of God's salvation and reconciliation of all humankind, and then participate, seek to participate in that becoming a reality by our love for neighbor, we have to follow Jesus' example and intentionally love those who are vulnerable and marginalized and outsiders. If we, the church, those uh, who by Christ have this logos of God's will of reconciliation of all things to peace, if we don't become the hearts and hands participating in advocating for and lifting up and loving the vulnerable, the marginalized, and the outsider, who will? If we fall to the temptation to conform to the patterns of this world described by Cole, Control, individualism, assigning value and success by the measures of materialism, viewing others as competition, hoarding time, doing what is practical for us or efficient, instead of doing what is right, even if that's impractical or inefficient or difficult. If we fall to this temptation to live self-focused lives, we are only living as ambassadors for our own selves. Or maybe we're living as ambassadors for human leaders or human ideologies that serve our own interests best, and that's still about us. Or, or maybe we're serving as ambassadors for a larger culture. But because it rewards me and it crushes others, we cannot be those who fall to this temptation. We have to look to others from, we have to regard others from a different point of view. We must no longer look at others from the self-focused human point of view. We are those in whom God has placed this bigger and more beautiful logos and new, big, beautiful idea about how this world is supposed to look. This vision of all things being pulled back into right relationship, pulled back into God's rhythms of harmony and peace. This vision of everyone being connected to one another and flourishing. And not just some. We are those who look at others the way that God sees them, as invaluable parts of the whole, 
And if they are not yet able to flourish and participate meaningfully in our life together, we are those who use our words and our actions as his ambassadors toward that end. We are those who realize that this was the central goal of Jesus' work and ministry. And as his ambassadors, we are those who seek to incarnate his mission, his love, and his focus. We are those who seek to incarnate that for it to be alive within us. His focus that was never, ever, ever about control, practicality, efficiency, accomplishment, consumption, self-preservation, but was always, always, always focused outward on how those in the world around him needed his investment, his care, his help, his love. If this Logos isn't incarnated within us, obvious and on display in, in, in all of our words and all of our actions, causing us uh, to focus on the world around us, the community around us, and not just ourselves, then may God help us to look up so that we might see the love of God and we might see the neighbors who need it. May God bless you in your reflections and in your prayers.